So since we're going to be practicing Satipatthana meditation, it means that we use Sati or awareness as the lead in order to um, cultivate five qualities. These five qualities are called the five faculties of mind. Um, the five faculties are um, include awareness itself, sati, and then the samadhi, we'll call it stability of mind. There's virya, we'll call it right effort. There's sadda, which we'll call faith or confidence in yourself and the practice. And lastly, wisdom, which is called panya. So the word in Pali for meditation is bhavana. And bhavana literally means cultivation. So And the reason why cultivation is important is because the nature of the mind is that every moment of mind arises and passes away. So the mind is discreet, it arises and passes away. Uh, but what it leaves is a legacy for the next mind that will arise. And so cultivation is important so that the right cultivation of the right things is important so the right legacy is, is passed on. So whether you, whatever you allow to um, live in your mind, whatever you allow to grow in your mind, that quality, whether positive or negative, will, as you allow it to remain in the mind, grow stronger and stronger because that legacy is being passed on. So that is why if we want to cultivate meditation, we want that to grow. We have to practice non-stop. So meditation is not a part-time, it's not a pastime, it's not a part-time um, occupation. It's something that we need to integrate into our lives as part of our lives, something that's always there. Because the mind is like a zero-sum game. You're, it's either positive or negative. So we, sh we need to try to make what's in the mind every moment be something positive, because if it's not positive, it's going to be negative. In other words, either something skillful, otherwise it'll be unskillful. This is the nature of meditation, yeah, this, this need for how you cultivate it. And he's trying to bring this to light for you because he says the time for meditation is just all day long. From the moment you wake up and open your eyes till you fall asleep at night, every moment is time to meditate. <coughs> So he's going to give you a few um, pointers. He'll pick out what he feels is most important for the practice of meditation. So the meditating mind, the mind that's doing the work of meditation, that that mind needs to be uh, a wholesome mind. And what do we mean by wholesome minds? Remember the five faculties I mentioned earlier? The awareness, stability of mind, right effort, faith, confidence, and wisdom. Those are good qualities of mind. And this is what we're trying to 
um, cultivate. So every moment of awareness brings these five qualities of mind into the present moment. And of these five qualities, um, it's when we try to make effort that often or sometimes um, defilements come in and it becomes wrong effort. Mm. So if greed comes into the practice, it becomes wrong practice. If aversion is the motivation for practicing, it becomes wrong practice. If delusion is what's present while we're practicing, it becomes wrong practice or wrong effort. Whenever these defilements are present and motivating the practice, um, we begin to overexert, we begin to over effort. When we're striving for something, when we want something to be a certain way, we start to put in too much effort. When we're dissatisfied with something, we start to put in a lot of effort. When we don't know what to do, we start to, um, to sort of flail about in the dark and then we still use too much effort. When there's not enough wisdom or understanding about how to practice correctly, how to, what right effort is, when there's not that understanding yet, then there will be this sometimes too much efforting and sometimes not enough effort. Uh. So Seattle wants us to be particularly aware of how much effort we're putting into the practice because he is very concerned that we do not over-effort. He doesn't want us to be focusing too much or trying too hard. He doesn't want us to practice in a way that makes the mind or the body tired. When you practice meditation, do you think it'll make you peaceful or happy? Yes, no? Sorry. Will it make you tired and unhappy? <laughs> if we're practicing correctly, if that's right effort, it will definitely bring peace and joy. But if we're putting in wrong effort, yes, we will find that we're getting tired while practicing, maybe unhappy as we practice. The moment there's things that we want, the things that we want to have, things that we don't want, we don't like, we disagree with, then it begins. We start to get tired in our practice. But simple awareness itself is really not tiring at all. He says because all it is is not forgetting in the present moment to be aware. In our capacities to be aware, he says, it's easy to be aware because all we can be truly aware of is our six senses, what we can directly be aware of. We have six sense doors, and if we're aware of one or the other of the six sense doors and what we're experiencing through it, awareness is present. So, to be aware of yourself, how much effort do you think it requires? Let's try it Live demonstration. <laughs> Ourselves as guinea pigs. You're sitting. Are you aware you're sitting? Mm -hmm. Feeling seated? <laughs> 
You're seeing. Are you aware that you're seeing? Yes? Are you sure? <laughs> when did you begin noticing that you're seeing? That seeing is happening? Just now. <laughs> <laughs> Just when Seattle reminded you, you're seeing it. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> but every day we wake up, we open our eyes, and the first thing that happens is seeing begins to happen. Do we ever realize that? No. And that's what awareness is. Just this realization of our present moment experience. That's all. So how much effort did you need to recognize that you were seeing when he said so? Much? A lot? <laughs> no? Okay. Concentrate Lolo, yeah. Concentrate Lola. Do you need to concentrate to know that you're seeing? No. <laughs> So what he's trying to demonstrate to you is that awareness doesn't take a lot of effort. So I sense So long as you're aware of something in your being, some sense, you're aware. It doesn't just have to be seeing, it could be any of the others, yeah? Touching, etc. And you know, of the six senses, five are in the body. One of them is the mind. That's also something that you might know. And, you know, tasting, hearing, smelling. Yeah, all of that is, whatever you know is fine. So, and he does want you to be meditating all day long, so it won't do to put in too much effort in like bursts of effort because you'll run out of steam, he said. <laughs> so he wants you to conserve energy, so you keep going all day long. He also wants us to lose the idea that meditation happens in a, on a cushion or in the Dhamma hall. Um, he wants us to come to the idea that meditation is so important that we need to do it whenever we remember, wherever we are, all the time. So although we don't need to put in a lot of effort, to be aware in each moment, Seattle says, what is very important is that we keep trying to keep up the intention to remain aware all the time, whether it's continuous or not. So, so that is the definition of right effort, Seattle says, not the putting in of a lot of energy, but rather the sustaining of that little bit of energy and trying to keep it going, trying to keep up the intention and the commitment and not giving up, persevering throughout the day. And that's actually a bit harder, Seattle says, because in order for awareness to become constant, it needs to become our habit. And for something to become our habit, we need to sort of pick at it all the time. No. And if we do persevere, Seattle says, um, and we keep at it and keep at it, um, a momentum will build. You will notice that it starts to take on a life of its own. It starts to grow. And that momentum is very important. Without this momentum, Seattle says in the practice, then um, it becomes difficult to take the practice to very much higher um, levels. So 
Shadows is in the beginning, it's always our personal effort. And that's always on and off, on and off, you know. And we just persevere. When we remember, we keep going. We forget, we remember, we keep going. And then when that momentum builds up, you, you'll start to notice that awareness starts to kick in on its own. That's what he calls natural, you know, when the flow comes in. Um, and if you practice like this over a long time, Seattle says, it can get to the point that that natural um, sort of awareness isn't just kicking in once in a while and not just for short periods, but it can start to become very pervasive. I'm a personal idea. I'm a total and when it gets to that point where it feels pervasive, Seattle says, you can really feel how it's not you practicing anymore. The Dhamma is around. I don't know, another idea. I don't to get That's when the, the understanding of anatta, the idea of what anatta could be, becomes very strong. That's why Seattle says continuity, or at least the commitment or intention to keep it that way, um, is so very, very important in the practice in right effort. Remember, it's not about using a lot of effort. It's about being steady. Steady and keep going and going. And in order to ensure that we are practicing with the right effort and right attitude, Seattle says another thing we need to do is check in with our minds every now and again to see whether it has right attitude, whether it is making right effort, whether it's some greed or you know, some aversion or delusion is, is there, pushing your practice. Check in very often. Because the nature of our minds is, you know, we live our lives and, and most often greed takes over, aversion takes over, delusion takes over, and we're going through all our emotions in daily life with these motivations, so you come to meditate, it's not a surprise that they'll come and try and run the show too. And because what he's advocating is that we practice relentlessly, if wrong you know, any of this wrong stuff comes in, greed, aversion, delusion comes in, he says then it's scary because it's going to be relentlessly greedy, averse, or deluded. <laughs> so please, check your mind often. And when we're practicing, we need to always remember when we're practicing, there's two things that, is involved, that are involved. The things that we know and the mind that is knowing or trying to know. The object definition And those things that we know, you remember the six sense doors we talked about just now, we call them objects. In general, we call the thing that is being known, we call it an object. And it's called an object because its role is to be known. And what is being known? That object, it could be something in your body and it could be something in the mind. But if you're talking about that which is knowing, that's just the mind. The body doesn't know, only the mind knows. So the actual work of meditation, although it uses the object, the work is being done by the mind that knows. So meditation is the work of the mind. 
So the objects are already there. Whether we know them or not, they're always present, right? So we don't have to do anything to them, Sierra says. When we know something, we don't have to change it. We don't have to make it better. It doesn't have to be anything else than what it is. The object is just what it is. What we have to work with is that mind that is knowing. In the present moment, Sierra says, the present moment, whatever we know, whatever we can be aware of, it's, it's an effect of the accumulation of past causes. Okay, many causes come together to bring the present moment into condition. And Sierra says, because it's an effect, we cannot actually change it. What we can do in the present moment is work with the mind that knows. We can make sure it has the right attitude, that it's working in the right way, um, bring those qualities of mind to bear in the present moment by being aware and, and cultivate those good qualities. So first off, in that present moment, Seattle says the first thing that we can do is check whether there's right view. So when the cool enemy out, the right view now when to lama the we patanazra atoloyama. So there we come to the fact that awareness alone is not enough. Yes, to practice vipassana effectively, right view must work together with awareness. Wrong view ga ludaima wrong view are shibida. Wrong view is always at work. Seattle says our automatic view of our world is that this process of mind and matter is me. I'm looking at me. I know me. But we can't practice vipassana just using that point of view. If we think of the body or the mind as mine and we observe it, defilements will begin arising. We will attach to things that we experience, that we're observing. We will resist the things that we're observing. If we think this is a good experience, we'll start wanting it or trying to create it. If we think it's not a good experience, we'll start trying to deny it or push it away. And the mind is, is, is the worst, Seattle says. The moment we think it's not a good mind, Seattle says, yeah, <laughs> hell starts. He says, and looking at the mind doesn't bring good news. And it's odd, Seattle says, when we look at our minds, mostly we see there's a lot of negative stuff running around. And if we think it's my mind, we'll start feeling pretty depressed. And if we think we have good qualities of mind, we start feeling good. That's mana, pride. So to practice vipassana effectively, then we have to remind ourselves that these minds, these processes are also nature, so that we can just observe them. When you observe yourself, this whole process of mind and matter, um, you want to remind yourself that the me is actually a process of mind and matter coming together. And we want to understand this process and that's why we are observing it. And so that's one very important thing is to have right view when we practice. 
And there are other ways that right view can come in, and that is when we practice vipassana. You know, we're um, trying to observe what is happening as it is, not resisting anything. When practicing three of the bugbears for um, yogis, you know, where our wrong view comes in and starts working, is sound, thinking mind, and pain. How should we approach these three three experiences? What should our thoughts be about them? And he's naming these three because they're the main bugbears, but he's saying they're not the only ones. You know, we could have similar ideas about any of our experiences. Okay? So Siada's trying to bring to life this idea of how when we, de- when we, whether consciously or unconsciously, begin to judge something as good or bad as an experience, um, we're going to be trying to manipulate. But in nature, things such as nature... They are what they are. They're neither good nor bad. They're just what they are. So when we meditate, is it good to have is it good to have thinking mind or is it good to have less thinking mind? So if we think anything is better, if we think it's better to have less thinking, then when there is thinking, or what we think is more thinking than there should be, then we're going to start resisting it. We're going to start making effort to do something about it. And as you go about meditating the whole day, is it good to hear sounds? Is it good? Are loud sounds better for meditation or are soft sounds better for meditation? Is it better if it's quiet for meditation? Don't we all like quiet better? <laughs> but you know what happens when we think quiet is better? When it's noisy, even a little bit? We get annoyed. So it doesn't matter how concentrated you are. You could be like in the depths of concentration. You hear a sound and you think there shouldn't be sound. Instantly you lose it. And so he's trying to say that, you know, idea, the idea, what we, our preferences will hinder Right idea, so right thought, right view, right idea, so But if we if we have the right idea, it can help us. Yeah, if we have the right idea, the mind will remain stable and steady. If we have the wrong idea, then yeah, we'll sort of get In Pali. Um, it says that the proximate cause of wholesome mind, of kusala, um, is yoniso manasikara. I have always translated yoniso manasikara as right attitude. Um, in Burmese, it is translated as taking to heart in the right way. So the proximate cause of kusala, wholesome mind, is yoniso manasikara. So correspondingly, the proximate cause of akusala, Unwholesome mind is ayoniso manasikara, which is taking to heart in the wrong way. And samadhi, very often, mostly translated as concentration, we call it stability of mind. But samadhi is a good state of mind. It is a kusala mind, 
which means that you must, the proximate cause of samadhi is yoni somanasikara, taking to heart in the right way. So the moment we have wrong view, we have a wrong thought, we think of it in the wrong way, it's going to disturb the samadhi, the samadhi will be destabilized, the stability of mind will slip. And how do we view pain? Do we think pain is good or not good? And generally, we think that pain is a negative experience in life. It's a discomfort. Yeah, the word itself feeds that image into our mind. Um, and so when we have pain, the mind's automatic reaction, whether we're conscious of it or not, is to actually not like it. So when we do meditation and we come across discomfort in the body or the mind, we need to check, see this negative reaction that the mind has towards this experience and adjust it. We need to remind ourselves that pain is not just a negative experience, pain is nature. For the body, we have a body. If we put it in positions that are difficult for it, if we remain in these positions for long periods of time, um, it will bring discomfort. That's natural. So pain is also, um, you know, comes from a set of conditions. It's conditioned, it's an effect of some causes coming together. If we would see this as a process, then we'd see that pain is just what it is. It's neither good nor bad. So it's only when we can accept that it is nature, that we can allow it and learn from it. Otherwise, we're so busy resisting pain, we can't really understand anything about its nature or its process. So, as we go about meditating the whole day, Seattle says, whatever we are observing, whether it's in the body or in the mind, Seattle wants us to check and remember that we are holding the view that this is just nature, is just a process. Seattle says that's the only difference between someone who's trying to meditate, a yogi, and someone who's not trying to meditate, not a yogi. A yogi is one who uses all the experiences of the six sense doors to develop um, sati, samadhi, and panya, awareness, stability of mind, and wisdom. But if you're not a yogi, you still have the six senses. You still experience things through the six, six sense doors, but you develop greed, aversion, and delusion towards them, or from because of them. So just the idea changes in the yogi. They're going to use this to develop So if we have the knowledge, we have the right information, we can use these six sense doors and the experiences of them to develop our good qualities of mind, cultivate them. It becomes meditation. And we're all yogis, right? <laughs> So use the six sense doors. Use every moment you have with the six sense doors to develop awareness, stability of mind and wisdom, and you'll be yogis. There is no experience in the world that disturbs you, your concentration or your awareness.
For a vipassana yogi, every experience and every object never hinders the practice. They only support the practice because it's something that you can be aware of, and therefore you can develop stability of mind and wisdom. Actually, when we talk about defilements, we're talking about hindrances. So, Sierra says, when, when we say hindrance, hindrance is not the things that we experience, not the objects. Hindrance is in the mind that's meditating. The mind, you know, if we have greed in the mind when it's practicing or aversion in the mind when we practice, the, the mind that's trying to practice is averse to what it's experiencing or has greed for what it's experiencing or delusion. That is the hindrance. So not the experience itself. So you could be having anger. Anger is not a def- the defilement that we consider the hindrance. It's, say, if we're resistant to the anger that we have to observe, that resistance is the defilement in the practice. Does that make sense? But when you understand the practice, then you can take that resistance in the mind and observe that as well. And then it becomes an object. And then it's not a hindrance anymore. It becomes part of the practice. In the Satipatthana Sutta, um, you have four. You have Kainupasana, um, the body consciousness, and then feeling consciousness, mind consciousness, and then Dhamma awareness, right? Dhamma the, the foundation of the Dhamma. When we get to Dhamma Nupasana, then the hindrances become the objects. Mm. Yeah. So, what I need? Our attitude, the one has a lot of love. Our yogi love me, but I don't mind it. Beginner, yogi. So, Siyadu has covered everything he needs to, he thinks, about right attitude to meditation. No, bro. Don't who mentioned it. And our jobs, henceforth, is only three. First, first, have right view. Second, be aware with right view. Third, continue to be aware with right view. <laughs> that always makes people laugh. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> so there's not a lot to do. Just these three. So, when you do want to do a sitting meditation, whether it's in the hall or out there in nature or in your room, when you're sitting, Sierra says, you can be aware of anything in your body or something that's happening in the mind. Anything is fine. You can do your... You can start with your breath if that's what you do. usually you do. You can do your rising falling if that's what you usually do. You can do body scanning, whatever you like. Yeah. But he wants you to know that when awareness gets better, what happens is that awareness knows more. So there is no need to try to keep the mind on only one object. Don't become blinkered and obsessed with one object. So you can start with one object because that's a beginning. Um, But if you begin to find as you continue to be aware that other things are filtering into your awareness and you know other things, Siyadra says, please allow yourself to know them and acknowledge them. You might find that you're doing, you're watching your breath, doing anapana, and then you notice the mind is thinking. You also notice some heat in the body. It just means the awareness is getting better. It doesn't mean you're distracted. The more you are aware of, um, the more it is a sign that your awareness is expanding and you know more. It means that the ability of the mind to know is increasing. 
And the whole objective of meditation is not to quiet the mind. The objective of the meditation is to know. To know whatever is happening as it is. If it's quiet, it's quiet. If it's not quiet, it's not quiet. Just know that. Acknowledging what you're experiencing in the moment, whatever you notice of your experience in the moment, acknowledging it for what it is, and letting yourself continue to know that and what else you could know. You're not trying to change your experience. What are we doing as we wander around throughout the day, sitting, standing, whatever? Siara says, we are trying to know, be aware of whatever is happening in the body and the mind. Yeah? So if in any moment you begin to feel that you're knowing three or four different things at a time, it can grow into that. Uh, don't be alarmed. Don't <laughs> don't think you're distracted. Don't judge it. Just know that that's a good sign. When when Seattle uses the word wandering mind, it just means you're unconscious. You know, like you don't know you were lost in thought. That's when there's wandering mind. But if you're thinking and you know there's thinking, that's not wandering mind. Okay? You're, that's when you're aware there is thinking mind. When the, when the awareness expands and it becomes really good, Sarah says, you know a lot of things. A lot of things that are happening, you know it clearly and, and it's really fast. The mind and the, the process of mind and matter is really, really fast. And we're usually, we don't usually see it at that speed, but when the awareness becomes very good, it can see that speed. So, not cool. So, when there are thoughts, Sierra says, please don't fight them. Um, the nature of the mind is to think. One of the definitions of the mind is that that which thinks is mind. So what matters is for us to acknowledge. If we know there's thinking mind, there's thinking mind. Seattle is not interested in the story. It's not what you're thinking about, but the fact that the mind is thinking. Um, so it's a process that's happening. And Seattle says, it, right at the beginning, if you're not used to and you cannot like objectively know, Seattle says, acknowledge it, acknowledge the mind is thinking, and then, and then go back to whatever else you were being aware of, sort of alternate. Don't stay just with the mind because you can get then lost in thought. Yeah, and, but if we um, give ourselves the opportunity to acknowledge thinking mind often, very often, we will get to the point where we begin to see that this is mind. And then you can know it and not get lost in thought. But that happens only when we begin to, I can only say this in words, when you can objectively know that this is mine. You know, you know, realize this is mine, mind is thinking, and you don't get lost in thought. Oh, yeah. It will happen. Seattle wants you to remember that when you do have discomfort, whether bodily or mental, um, the first thing you want to check for is whether there is resistance in the mind. What's the reaction of the mind to the experience of discomfort? 
And there are two steps there. You check for the reaction of the mind, and then you see one whether you can adjust it. Can you remind the mind that this is nature? Does it become more accepting so that you can observe? Step one. Step two, you will watch as long as you're able. If you find that it's becoming very uncomfortable, step two, stop doing that. Do something that's more neutral. You know, go back to the breath or take a walk or don't work with what's very difficult um, for longer than you can bear. If, you're, if it was a sitting posture and you had a lot of pain, maybe you need to move your, change your posture. When you do, when you do walking meditation, Sierra says just walk and know that you're walking. There's no need to walk slowly. There's no need to label what you're doing. Just feel. Become conscious of the process of walking. What can you pick up about the process of walking as you watch yourself walk? You can start by just knowing one thing, Sierra says, you know, just maybe just feeling the step or the movement. Um, the key is to sustain that awareness. So keep being aware of that one thing that you know, like your movement or whatever, and you'll find that the awareness expands and begins to feel other things in the body and know what else is happening when you're walking. Sierra wants us to be aware in all our activities, in our rooms, when we eat, when we move a hand or a leg, he wants us to know. Yep. When we look to pick things up, when we see in general, he wants us to notice these things as much as we can. Seeing and looking is something that we uh, most lack practice in. Um, and so we'll find that we're not very skillful. We maybe don't remember to notice. We're so used to um, thinking that meditation is something to do with our to do with our eyes closed that we are not used to even the idea that you know you could be aware of seeing or that with your eyes open you can be aware. But it's really not difficult, Seattle says. You're looking, like say you're looking at him now and you can recognize that that's what's happening. Looking is happening. That action is happening. How many times a day do you think that we do this? We look. How many times a day do we look? How many times do we notice that we look? So please, um, practice. If we practice it and make it a habit, he says it's everywhere, it's pervasive. Every time we do something, we look. We look at the handle before we turn the handle. You know, we look at the door before we go towards it. We look at things before we pick them up. We look at things before we, we choose. We look all the time before we do anything. If we're not skillful at noticing, seeing and looking, Sierra says it, it is difficult to keep up practice in daily life. Go daily life. Because we don't walk around all day long with our eyes closed. Yes, and seeing is a very, very obvious object, Seattle He says, we can't even not want to see with our eyes open, seeing is happening, but it's not the things we see, you know, it's, it's Yeah, but we tend to not be able to um, understand what seeing is. Yada says the, the, the instant tendency of the mind is to then um, think of what it's seeing. Like I see a Buddha picture, I see the floor, um, but that's not the object. Yeah? There's a concept. 
those things out there that you're seeing are objects. The, the vision, the seeing, that's a different thing. Just acknowledge what you know. Mm. Seeing and looking are... Um, no. Seeing and thinking. Seeing and thinking have very similar natures. It's like, you know, when we watch our thoughts, we get lost in thought. And so when we try to notice seeing, we get lost in what we're seeing. So only with repeated practice, perseverance, we begin to be able to objectify it so that we're, we don't get lost in it. So particularly in our, you know, as we go about the day, not in the, not when we're sitting meditation or doing walking meditation, but you know, when we're doing all our other day-to-day things um, around these days, Sierra says, please um, make yourself conscious of seeing and looking as much as possible. Remind yourself. And in the beginning days of meditation, well, probably almost 80% of the retreat, Seattle would like us to not speak if not necessary, um, just to gain some momentum. And in the later days, um, at some point, Seattle will um, start talking to us about how to talk with mindfulness a little bit. Mm. He thinks that's enough for Any now. Qu- Any questions? If you find any of this confusing or disjointed, he says, this is a really good time to ask the question. <laughs> yes? You said something about the difference between the body and the mind. The difference between... the body doesn't know or it doesn't do something. And I just... Right. I don't He's... understand that. Okay. I feel like the body does know. Anyway. Ah, yes. Okay. <laughs> oh? Um, so, so, I'll be all right. So I'll just explain that it's sort of technical. Um, in the Buddhist, um, what do you call it, Abhidhamma or whatever, um, in the psychology of the of Buddhism sort of thing, uh, things are clearly defined. So although in English we may say, um, you know, in our psychology and whatever, we say like the body knows, so it's, um, it's you know, adjusting or, you know, and stuff like that. So we use the words quite loosely, um, I'll say. But in Buddhism, it's very um, clearly spelled out that, you know, it's always the mind that knows. So you may not be conscious of it, but a subconscious mind might be aware of something that's happening in the body. So whatever is known is always known by the mind. So if it's something that knows, it is the mind that is knowing. Yeah? So this is technical. And it's also the mind that feels. So he'll give you a very um, simple example. For example... Um, for matter, yes, um, one of the physical senses is sound. Um, sorry. Sound is the, is the physical object, right? Sense object. And the hearing is the, is the experience of sound. Yeah, but sound is not the mind. Yeah? 
And if you're talking about the body, feeling in the body, there might be heat, but heat is not the mind, but the knowing of heat is the mind. So in Buddhist terms, um, that which knows and that which thinks is defined as mind. So it's a definition. So you call any quality that knows the mind and any quality that feels the mind, any quality that thinks the mind. And as you practice Yadosas, you will begin to see the difference between what is known and what is knowing. The nature is different. That which is being known has the quality of being the object or the, the nature of being the object of being known. Um, and, and then that which is knowing, you know, is, which is always mind. You will begin to see this difference clearly. Mm. So, the machine, So, yes. So the question was that there's a very subtle difference between cultivating um, good qualities of mind, for example, and allowing what's manifesting to be there, allowing what's being experienced to be there and not try to change it. Okay, Bawana. เนี่ยโหผิดแต่หาวผิดแต่อตัยตู้มาเปียงเปียงผู้มาโจซาเป็นเนี่ยโหเป้ผิดอ่ะงั้นอย่างเต็มมือเลยเนี่ยที่เรา
Can Seattle say something about how to practice when lying down? Seattle says you are allowed to practice in any posture, so certainly you can practice lying down. Just don't fall asleep. <laughs> if you find your awareness is good when you're lying down, then you are welcome to do that. Lying down, so when we lie down, we have to mentally be more alert. Yeah, we have to exercise the mind more. So because the, the total effort in the body is much, in the mind, sorry, is much less because we are not supporting the body um, when we lie down. The mind doesn't have to support the body um, in posture. So um, all the effort has to be geared towards being aware. Yeah, if we become too relaxed when we are being mindful in a lying posture, lying down posture, we can fall asleep. Yes. Okay, I'm just going to try and repeat that question for the recording. It still seems difficult that even if you're aware of the process of thinking, to, to dissociate the sense of self from, from it, even though you're aware. Yes, okay. Since I'm out, i so there's no need to dissociate because it's about knowing what's happening in the present moment as it is. So you know there's thinking and then you know the sense of I, right? So know that as well. So recognize both. So because you're aware, you're on top of both. So that's fine. And the benefit of that is that when sometimes the sense of I is not present, you, you then recognize it so clearly because you have been recognizing it when it is there. Yes? Yes. Can there be awareness of awareness? Yes, there can be. When there is momentum, when the awareness is good, there can be awareness of awareness. Seattle has often given this analogy that every moment that we're aware is like putting dots down on a line, in a line. So moment of awareness, dot, awareness, dot, 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 dot. And when you have a lot of dots, you begin to see the line. And he said, that's what it feels like when you're continuously aware. Suddenly, you, you, this, this thing that is awareness seems to come alive in your consciousness. You begin to see this thing at work. Yeah. You can step back from it, and that's awareness, awareness. Yes. Chronic pain. Hmm? Uh, what is the instruction for chronic pain? Natashi so in Balawama. Natashi so in the Narao. Come on, the Boba Lady. Well, if it's chronic, Sierra says you really have to work to understand it, the process of pain, really well. Narao Bale with the Boba, you know, Narana Patin, Dodora Malaro. When we truly understand what pain is, then when there is experience of pain, Aversion doesn't come with it. When we, when we understand that pain is also the Dhamma, that is also a Dhamma object, then pain is just another object. It doesn't matter. When pain becomes Dhamma, Sierra said, when? then it's no longer painful. And 
for yogis who don't have chronic pain, you know, we are we challenge ourselves to face pain, discomfort, and so on, so that we begin to understand the nature of pain, so that if we have real pain, you know, we can, um, we have some understanding and we can face it with more equanimity. For those in chronic pain, you have to learn on the go. What is your mind's feeling towards your pain? What is your mind's attitude towards your pain? What what stance does it hold towards the pain that you have? Is there anything that you already understand about your pain? You need to bring all this in. And when we observe pain, it is so that we begin to understand the process of pain, not just in the body, but of how the mind is involved in the experience of pain. Right? It's to understand this process that we um, observe the whole process of pain. So, Seattle says, when, when there is pain, pain is just a physical experience, right? And, but the feeling, painful, uh, feeling is in the mind. And the only difference between in experiencing pain is whether you find it painful, i.e. there is a version in the mind towards it, or the mind is equanimous to it, although the physical um, experience is still there. Um, and so you need to work with the mind to understand how the mind is involved in the process more. How does the mind interpret pain? How does the mind create pain for itself? How does it create the experience of pain and painful and all the attendant things for itself? So a, a normal person just like it's all all together, it's all rolled up in one. Um, but for yogi, it's different. Yeah, you're, you're starting to take it apart, find out more about it. Okay, so in the video, I'm doing So, Seattle, we'll see you in interviews. Um, well, watch out for on the board today. There might be an announcement of if there is um, an interview this evening. We might begin them this evening, maybe. We'll see. Thank you. Oh? No? Sorry. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.